All right, while you're grabbing your Bibles and turning to Luke 15, so that's where we're going to be studying from today. Uh, before we talk about the two brothers and the father, and specifically the, the prodigal son today, you know the story, um, we thought you might enjoy hearing from the prodigal daughter. So let's see what she has to say. seen him standing there many times before, just standing there staring down the road as if he really thought he'd come back. I mean, everybody knows what happened to the boy, how he disgraced his father, spending all his money on women and drinking parties, keeping the whole town awake. And if you ask me, his father shouldn't have allowed it. He should have went against the will of his child. Well, even though he was old enough to know better. But I mean, really, what kind of father just lets his son go off and, well, I guess it's in the nature of most of us to want to go our own way, to try on our own until we realize that what we did was wrong. <sighs> so pitiful, though, to see him standing there waiting every day with expectation. And you know what I heard now? Don't go spreading this around town. But I heard that he was living in the city, feeding pigs and sleeping and eating with them. And his father is the richest in the land. What a disgrace. But there he waits. His eyes are so sad, yet... Yet they speak of love and acceptance for someone who so greatly hurt him. Now, I've, I've never been a father. I, I don't understand the depth of his love. Oh, oh but it's, it's just crazy if you ask me. I, I bet if he had to, he'd even die for his son. Now, why, I ask you, would anyone leave the love of a father like that? But... But what would happen if he actually did come back? Well, I'll tell you right now that I would die of embarrassment if it was me. I mean, he's way over his head in sin. I can't imagine anyone who'd forgive all, all that. But he'd, he'd, he'd probably have a party and invite everyone he knew as though his son had done nothing wrong. I, I know this. I, and well, um... Just being here, seeing him waiting with expectation, it, okay, it kind of makes me realize that maybe I haven't been the best daughter to my father either. I know I, I need to go back home to him and admit my mistakes. I, I've lied to him. I've disobeyed him. I said yes when I should have said no. I said no when I should have said yes. And so often, I was so preoccupied with what I wanted to do, I didn't even bother to ask him what he might want me to do. But, but I'm so afraid because what? Well, what if I've gone too far? Well, what, what if I've sinned too much and my father won't forgive me? But, but my father died for me. His love for me was that great. Father. 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 
Let's go now. We've waited long enough. It's getting dark. He won't be back tonight. Listen, I'm sorry. I know you never turned your back on me, but I turned mine on you. Please don't be sad. Well, I know he'll return one day. Well, he must know how much you love him and wait for him to return. And, and I don't know why he continues to hurt you like he does when he knows that you have all he'll ever need. I, I tell you, when my brother gets back, I'm going to sit him down and... What I meant to say was, forgive me, Father. Even though I have not left the land I grew up in, I too have strayed. Take me back also. Oh, I love you, Father. I know, I know all that you have is mine too. I know, Father. I... What? Well, well, yes. That, I, I think that's him. That, that, it looks like him. He needs a bath, but... Oh, of course. Go, go quickly. I'm all right now. I will. I will run and tell the servants to, to bring the best robe and put it on him and, and a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And oh, we'll, we'll, we'll have the fattened calf, father. Oh, it'll be such a joyous celebration for my brother was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is now found. Who can understand the love of a father? Our father. Let's see ourselves as he sees us. Yeah. So good, huh? Amen. So go to Luke chapter 15, and uh, let's look at the story with fresh eyes this morning, um, knowing that this is my last Father's Day service as senior pastor. I could have gone a lot of different uh, directions, but I just couldn't help myself but go back to Luke chapter 15 and talk about Papa God today and just how good he is. And I want to talk about the reckless pursuit of our Papa. The reckless pursuit of our Papa. Luke chapter 15. Now, if we're going to study Luke 15 in order to understand this story that, that was just depicted for us so well, in order to understand it, we want to understand the context of it. In order to understand the context, you've got to go all the way back to verse 1 in Luke chapter 15. It says this, Now all the tax collectors and the sinners, you've got to practice saying that, right? So you say that word properly. The sinners. You want to try that with me real quick? The sinners. There you go. You're doing pretty good. Some of you have had a little bit of practice, right? So the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. So the sinners, tax collectors, hanging out with Jesus. Both the Pharisees and the scribes begin to grumble, saying, This man receives who? The sinners. Those filthy sinners. And he eats with them and to share a meal with them to the Pharisees and Sadducees almost spoke of him condoning their lifestyle. 
that's how strongly an idea of eating a meal with someone really represented that you were coming into alignment with them. And we know that he, he was not so much into their lifestyle, but he loved them in spite of their lifestyle, right? But here these guys are, they're upset, he's eating with the sinners. So in response to this, all of these parables are in response to this right here. So everything that Jesus is about to say, he's saying because, number one, he's eating with and hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. And everybody know a tax collector is right up there with a sinner, right? So he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. And the scribes and Pharisees are so frustrated and upset. And so he tells three parables in Luke chapter 15. Now the first parable depicts Jesus. I want you to notice this. There's three parables, and he does three on purpose. The first parable depicts Jesus as the good shepherd. Remember in this same book, in the book of John chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, right? Or in the book of John chapter 10. So the parable depicts Jesus as the good shepherd leaving the 99 in pursuit of the one lost sheep. The second parable depicts Holy Spirit. You remember uh, a few weeks ago on Pentecost Sunday how we talked about Holy Spirit? Uh, even in the book of Genesis, spirit, ruach, is feminine. And in this, these three parables, in the second parable, he's speaking about Holy Spirit as the woman who illuminates the whole house in search of the valuable lost coin, right? So the Holy Spirit is the one who does the illuminating. Jesus is the good shepherd. Holy Spirit is illuminating in search of this lost, valuable coin. How many know the coin never lost its value? Always had the same value, even when it was lost, right? It's a message there that Jesus is trying to share with the scribes and Pharisees about these sinners, these sinners that he's eating with, right? Same thing with the sheep. It never stopped being a sheep, right? It was always a sheep, even when it wandered away. Still had the same value to the good shepherd. The third parable depicts Papa. Isn't that cool? In these three parables, we've got the Son, the Spirit, and Papa in reckless pursuit of two lost sons. Really, this parable is not a parable about the prodigal son as much as it's a, the parable about the pursuit of a father for two sons. Both of them their hearts were disconnected. Now, we're going we're gonna to fly through these verses pretty quickly with a little bit of commentary so I can get where I want to go this morning. So the third parable, again, is about Papa and his lost sons. Now, both, both of these groups, the sinners and the scribes, both of these groups are represented in, these par in this last parable, in, in, in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. So let's read it. And he said, a man had... How many sons? Okay, so we've got the two sons that represent the sinners and represent the scribes. So the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. Now, to understand what he's saying, he's actually saying to this younger son, or this younger son's actually saying to the father, I am on pain meds. <laughs> so you guys try to hang with me as I try to hang with my own brain this morning, all right? So the younger son says to the father, I want what's coming to me, all right? This was, this in their culture, this was like he was saying, dad, I wish you were dead. 
That's how strong this statement is. It's like he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I don't want anything to do with you. I just want my money. Because in order for him to get it, really, in the culture, the father would have had to die in order for him to get what was coming to him. So when he says to his dad, I want my money now, he's saying, Dad, I don't want you. I wish you'd die and I could get my inheritance. Notice what happens. So he divided his wealth between them. Isn't that interesting? So when he divides his wealth, he doesn't only give it to the younger son, but he also gives the inheritance to the older son, who we're going to hear from in the story uh, in a little while. Now, according to Old Testament law, the older son actually was supposed to get a double portion, right? Deuteronomy chapter two, uh, 21, 17, you can write that somewhere in your notes. Deuteronomy 21, 17 actually says this, that two-thirds of, the, uh, of, of what the father has is supposed to go to the older son. So, Ben, he's, he's pre- doing pretty well, right? The younger son only gets one-third of the inheritance. The older son gets two-thirds, and the younger son, then, is the one that we follow in this portion of the story in verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, and he went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. And I think that uh, Lorraine did a great job of describing what that loose living looked like. Verse 14. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Interesting, this is the point in the story where the Jews thought it was going to end. Like, this is the point of the story, right? The, the, the younger son says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Just give me your money. And so he gets the money. He goes out and he spends all his money. And then he begins to reap the consequence of his poor choice. And he ends up starving, and he ends up slopping with the pigs. And there's actually a story in the second centuries that's in Jewish literature that told a similar story. Probably even was around in the days of Jesus. And so the Jews are thinking, yeah, that he gets what's coming to him. Great story, Jesus. The scribes and Pharisees are thinking, yeah, finally, he's telling a story that's going to let these sinners know exactly what's coming to them, what they got coming to them for the choices they made and how they've treated God. They better get ready, right? Aren't you glad that isn't how the story ends? Aren't you happy? Verse 16 says, He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. Of course, the Jews thought it was absolutely disgusting that he was with pigs at all. Now, I, as a God-loving Gentile, am thrilled that in the new covenant, God has redeemed all things, including bacon. Are you with me? Are you thankful for bacon? I'm telling you that sheep came down out of heaven in Acts chapter 10, and God told Peter, slay and eat. Peter said no, and God said, you don't even know what you're missing out on, Pete. You've not had any bacon yet. So I'm thankful we can eat bacon. Someone said one time, they said, you know, they described the Bible, what is it? And they said, well, some people say it's a love letter. And then he said, are you sure it's a love letter? I'd never get a love letter from my, if I got a love letter from my spouse saying you can't eat bacon, I don't know if I'd call that a love letter. (laughs) 
Aren't you glad we're in the new covenant and bacon's been redeemed? All right. Verse 17. I spent an inordinate amount of time on bacon. All right. But when he came to his senses, anybody ever been there before? Gosh, I've been there, right? Totally messing up, totally going the wrong direction. And it's not that my heart was so right in my returning or turning around. It's just that, man, I can't stand the way my life's going anymore. That's what's going on with this guy right now. It's not all of a sudden he's like, wow, you know what? My dad loves me. Why in the world would I walk out on my dad when he's an amazing papa? That's not what's going on. He's like, I can't stand living like this anymore. Now, even that in itself, you would think that the story would be, once you get your motives right, then I'll receive you back. But that's not how the story goes. His motives are messed up right here. He just comes to his senses because he is tired of starving, right? He says, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger? That's his motivation. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. He's, re you know, he's rehearsing his speech. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. He's not really repenting. He's just returning because he's hungry. In fact, the IVP Bible background commentary, I was reading this this week, it says that the Jewish hearers of this story actually would have regarded his return as an act of incredible presumption. They wouldn't have thought this was humility. They wouldn't have heard this story and said, wow, the son has finally humbled himself. They would have said, what? Who does he think he is to even think he can go back home? How? Who? What is it? What's, where's this Jesus going with this story? What is he trying to say here that, that this young boy is, is saying, you know what, I think I'm going to go back. I'm, I'm going to tell my father I've sinned. And they're going to say, so what? Tell him that if you want to. But you've blown your chance. Man, have you ever felt like that with God? This is what this guy even feels like. This boy is like, this, this idea of mine probably won't work. But I'm going to try it. I'm going to go back and see if at least he'll take me on as one of his hired servants. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he, I love this part of the story. <laughs> while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion for him. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. Don't you love that? I can't imagine you know, being in the crowd that day when Jesus told this story. This thing is going a whole different direction than they would have seen it going. All of a sudden, this Jewish father forsakes all dignity. In order for him to run, he has to lift up his robe and expose his naked legs. And my friends, you don't expose your naked legs to people in the first century, all right? That ain't a good thing. Or naked, his naked legs. And he takes off running. This is so disgraceful to them to hear this story of a father who sees his son a long way off, like Lorraine was telling the story, every night he's standing, gazing into the horizon, looking for his son. Come on, son, make that step. Come home. And he runs and he grabs his son and he embraces him and he, he kisses him. So then the, the son is going to do his speech, right? And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
I love this part, verse 22, because the father doesn't let him finish his speech. He interrupts his prayer. My friends, there are some prayers that we're praying that God will gladly interrupt. Prayers that are absolutely out of whack because they don't see him for who he really is and and when we don't see ourselves for who we really are. That's what's going on here. The guy doesn't see his papa for who he is and he doesn't see himself for who he is. And so Papa interrupts him. I love that. He says, Father said to his slaves. He doesn't even say this to the son. He doesn't even say it to him. It's like he turns to someone else. And it it reminded me when I was reading this through again last night, some of the most powerful times that I remember, things that my father said to me were powerful. Absolutely. There's some things that that my dad has spoken to me throughout my life. And just the other day, I was on the phone with him. uh, It's his birthday this week. And so I was talking to him and and he told me, I love you, son. I'm proud of you. That means a lot to hear a, a, a papa. Some of you didn't have papas that said that to you. But he said that on, on the phone to me the other day. He said, I love you, son. I'm, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you and Tana. That means so much to me. But I can remember, I think one of the most, the things that stands out in my mind the most, two different times when I was a kid. One of them, I was uh, in band. And, you know, I, I didn't exactly make the football team. I made the band, all right? I get to play during the game, and, and I played trumpet. And I had, happened to get a solo. I was first chair trumpet player, and I got to play a solo. My dad came to the football game not to watch football. He came to the football game to hear his trumpet playing boy. And while everybody else is getting nachos, and snow cones, and in my case, I love a pickle juice snow cone, you ever had one? They're really good. Bacon and pickle juice snow cones. We're on a roll today, guys. My dad is in the stands that day, and I still remember this so well. I mean, I was up, and I'm playing my solo, and then I go, I'm starting to back up to, to join the rest of the band, and I can hear my dad. It's like everybody, no one's in the stands listening to the band. That's not why you go to the football game. And I hear my dad yelling out, That's my boy! that's my boy, screaming at the top of his lungs for his trumpet-playing teenage boy. I remember that so clearly. It wasn't that he was saying it to me. It was powerful to me that he said something about me to everybody else around him. It's like he wanted the people around him to know that's my son. That's what's going on right here. I can remember him doing another time when I was a, a, a teenager, just had gotten out of the house, and I wanted to show him, boy, I was going to, I put in that earring that he wouldn't let me wear when I lived at home, so I had my earring in, and I'd grown my hair out. Had, I had the nicest Richard Marks mullet you have ever seen in your life, and I used to blow it dry upside down, and that thing could, oh, man, it was beautiful. beautiful. I wish I had some of that right here, right now. And I remember we were at our denomination's annual assembly, and uh, so my dad was, uh, he was one of the leaders in our denomination. He was, uh, he was over the state that we lived in at the time, kind of like a district supervisor. He was called a state overseer. And, and uh, so I went, like purposely, in front of his friends, sporting my big mullet and my earring, you know, and just walked up to him. And I still remember him putting his arm around me in front of his religious friends who none of them liked my earring, none of them liked my hair. And I remember again he put his arm around me in front of everybody that he could have tried to impress by correcting me in that moment. And instead he said, this is my son right here. This is my son. 
remember that because he was speaking about me in front of other people. That's what's going on here. So instead of just talking directly to him, he says, I want you to know how I brag about you to everybody else around you. Hear your papa saying that this morning. The father says to the slaves, those that are serving him, quickly bring out the best robe. The best robe was papa's robe, by the way. Bring out my robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand. That ring is the family signet ring, as many of you guys know. That's the ring of authority that has to do with doing the business of the family. Now, that's the last thing I'd give that boy that day. How about you guys? The last thing I would give him would be check signing privileges. Are you with me? Right? It's like, put a robe on him and give him the family debit card. Right? The guy that just, this is the crazy love of our God, of our Papa. Put a ring on his hand, the family signet ring. Then he said, put sandals on his feet. Well, slaves didn't wear shoes. So when he says, put sandals on his feet, he's saying, I'm going to change the way this boy sees himself. I'm going to show him how I see him. And, and, And I want him to know this is how I speak about him to the people around me. Then he says, bring the fatted calf. That that calf was enough to feed the whole village. So this isn't just like a little family get-together. He's throwing a party for the whole village. This is the the calf that they've been preparing. I love this. This papa's been preparing for this day. This calf wasn't being fattened just so they could have a big meal and party for no reason, just to have the village over and kind of chill out. No, this was for this day. He says, bring this cap. We're going to party with the whole village. Kill it. Let us eat. Let us celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he has been found. And they began to celebrate. I want you to write this in your notes this morning. This is what I wanted to get to today. Is that Papa recklessly pursues rebellious sinners. Oh, we can testify to that. I I bet every one of us in this room can testify to that. There used to be a book, well, there's still a book, but I remember years ago, it was really hot. It was called The God Chasers. My friends, I am not here today because I'm such a great God chaser. I'm here today because my God is such a great chaser. He chased me down. Here's what he does, and I love this. This is what he does in this moment, and he does it for us today. Papa, he calls sinners sons. Don't let this be wasted on you this morning. This, when he's saying this, these Pharisees and scribes know that he's saying this in front of these sinners and these tax collectors that they despise. He's saying, I don't call them sinners. I'm calling them what I have always seen them as. I'm calling them son. The Greek word that's used in Luke is the word huios for son here. He uses this particular Greek word on purpose because it's expressive of the distinctive position and dignity which a son has in the household. This this word is not about son in a generic sense, like, you know, if if I was Tom's son. And so he just, you know, that's what you call him because I was born of Tom, and so I'm Tom's son. No, no. This is, this is the son that you, you have to actually be placed here by the father. You have to be called a huios. This is the son that can wear the signet ring. This is the son that can do the business of the family. This title, it's a title, is all about position. This is about 
him telling him, I don't care what you feel like. You feel like a sinner because you have sinned. And even when you return to me, you still want to talk about sin. Father, I have sinned, sin, sin. Guess what's on his mind? Sin, sin, sin consciousness, right? So he, in the midst of talking about sin, he's going to change the language on him. Doesn't deny that he's sinned. He doesn't deny that his son has sinned. What he does is say, let me speak to the core of who you are. Because that's the way I'm going to get you to quit sinning. Woo, somebody. The way I'm going to liberate you from this lifestyle that you found yourself in, from the, 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 the struggle that you found yourself in, the way I'm going to set you free is by calling you who you really are. Weos. This son of mine, he calls him. In your notes, if we see ourselves as sinners, we'll keep acting like sinners. That's why you don't hear us use phrases around here like I'm an old sinner saved by grace. No, I'm not. Neither are you. The old you died with Jesus, and the new you rose with him. You are, in fact, what the Bible calls a saint. Saint Pat, right there. Saint Pat sitting right there. St. Beth Ann, right here. Uh-huh. Come on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, you're not sinners. I'm not a sinner. That's not our court. I didn't say we never sin. I just said that's who we're not. We're not sinners. And when we see ourselves as sinners, I know I return to this theme often, and I wanted to return again here before my time as one of your senior pastors is finished. It's so important to me that you see your papa for who he is and that I do as well, and that you and I also see who we really are. See, in your notes, what God says about us is true whether we believe it or not. There was not a time when that boy was running away that he was not the son of his father. There are those who, when their child disappoints them, they will disown them and wipe their hands of them, Right? You're no longer a part of this family. That doesn't happen with Heavenly Papa. There's never a point, never a point where the son ceases to be a son. He's in a mess. He's messed up. He's, all, he's totally forgotten who he is. But whether you believe it or not, you are a son. I'm talking to men and women. This is a, this is a position that he's placed you in. There used to be, and there still is some teaching that there are those that are immature, and then there are those that are mature, and the mature are called weos. And when you finally mature, then he'll call you a weos. And before then, he'll call you an immature son. But finally, there will be those that will rise in the earth that are mature. We're, we don't mature in order to be called mature. He calls us mature sons, and then we grow up into that. Does that make sense? We grow up into what he's already calling us. If you don't believe me, look at what, Peter, like what Jesus did with Peter. He called him a rock before he acted like a rock. He calls you a son when you're not acting like one. And the reason you and I will begin to act like one is because we're hearing him consistently call us sons. Here's the deal. He's inviting us to agree with what he's speaking over our lives. That's the issue. Not are you a son, but will you agree that that's who you are? Because when you don't agree, when you disagree with who you are, 
That's when you live contrary to God's purposes. That's when you and I find ourselves wandering away and slopping with the pigs when we forget who we are. He's calling you a huios. Turn to your neighbor and say, you a huios. All right, verse 25. Because remember, there's two groups of people that are addressed in the story. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached, by the way, that is the word huios too. His older huios son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. Oh my goodness, that'll stir up any religious person right there. (laughs) And he summoned one of the servants, and he began inquiring what these things could be. Why is my father partying? What is going on here while I've been out striving in the field? And he said to him, and they said to him, the the one he asked, the servant, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, but he became angry, and he was not willing to go into the party, which, by the way, in their culture, it was the responsibility of, of the older son to reconcile any problems between a father and the younger sibling. It was his job. One of his jobs, his position as the oldest son was actually to reconcile and to bring back together. That's the part he was actually supposed to play in the story. But instead, he refuses to go into the party, which, by the way, he could have been beaten for that. I mean, his father could have had him beaten for not coming to the party. You don't show up at my party, I'll beat you up. Aren't you glad that isn't the way this story goes? His father, look at this. Oh, I love this part again. Here we are. What does he do with sinners? He runs and grabs them and kisses them. What does he do? Oh, and this is so good. This is so good because we don't always see this. Sometimes Jesus is pretty strong with Pharisees. and That's who he is strong with. It's not the tax collectors and sinners that he has rough words for, right? He doesn't call them a brood of vipers, right? He doesn't call them dead men's bones. He doesn't do that with them. It's the religious people that he says stuff like that to. But in this story, he's letting the religious people know what the heart of his papa is really like. The father came out, and he began pleading with him. Now imagine you're a Pharisee or a scribe, and you're hearing this part of the story, that papa comes out, And I love this because I've been on both sides of this. I've been the son slopping with the pigs, and I've been the judgmental religious Pharisee. More often, the second one, the judgmental religious Pharisee. And I am so glad that Papa runs after the religious people too. I'm so glad that he runs after the judgmental, the ones that we can't stand. And he runs to them and he pleads with them. But he answered and he said to him, look, he doesn't say father, sir. He says, look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command. What a great word. I know about your commands and I've never neglected one of them. And yet you have never given me a young goat. Forget the fatted calf. I didn't even get a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when not my brother, when this son of yours, Weos, he uses the word again, your mature, 
your grown adult son, yeah, when he comes back, who's devoured your wealth, by the way, I would like to re, I want to hope, just for a second, Papa, could I rehearse the sins that he's committed with you? Could I go ahead and have a little bit of your time, Papa, to let you know exactly what he's been doing? Maybe no one's told you yet. You ever felt like that with God? I just want to let you in on what they're doing over there, God. Because if you really knew what they were doing, you'd be doing something about that right now. And you must not know. Maybe no one's told you yet in prayer. So I've gathered before you, Heavenly Father, to let you know how my brothers are sinning. <laughs> so he says, you know what? He's, he's wasted his, your money with prostitutes, just so you know. And you kill the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, son, you have always been with me. And all that is mine, not just two-thirds, all that is mine is yours. What a statement, huh? So I'm, I'm really glad he doesn't only pursue sinners. But in your notes, Papa recklessly pursues the religious self-righteous. Me. God recklessly pursues the religious, self-righteous, and he, Papa, calls the self-righteous sons. Ah, but it's a different word. It's not the same word. It's not weos. He uses the word technon. Now, sometimes people will try to describe the word technon like it's uh, almost like a slam. You're nothing but an immature child, but actually that's not the, the way it's used in this text. He's actually using it as an expression of love. It's an expression uh, deriving, its, uh, deriving its life and nature from another. As children do from their parents, it carries with it the thought of intimacy. Mm, see, that's what the older son doesn't realize he has. He's got commands. He's got principles. He's going to live right. He's going to make good choices. But he's totally forgotten who loves him. He's totally forgotten that he has a papa who is totally just as crazy about him as he is about this sloppy boy that just came home. I love the way God's word translation translates Luke, Luke 15, 31. It says, his father said to him, my child. You could even translate this, my dear child. My dear child, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. So he... Both these guys have problems with their perception. The first guy, he doesn't see, you know, he doesn't see himself as worthy. He sees his papa as the judgmental Pharisee, right? Just like his older brother. And so he never sees himself as worthy to be who he really is. And so he doesn't even try. Some of us have been there before, right? Why even try? And, and then there's the, the older brother. And he is upset because his papa is not like the Pharisees. Right? I mean, come on. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is not right. It's not fair. You're not just. And in your notes, if we see our papa as unjust, we, were, we will live our lives outside of the party. God will be celebrating and partying with tax collectors and sinners and will stay outside with our noses in the air. Because that is not right. God... It is not fair. That's right. Grace isn't fair. Hallelujah. Praise God grace isn't fair. But it is just. It's 
just exactly the way the Father intended it. It is just because Jesus paid for it, right? When we see Papa as unjust, we'll never join the party. But when we agree with Papa's scandalous grace, we join him in hosting the party. When we have a transformation and a turnaround in our thinking and God sets us free from being religious and judgmental and we begin to see him for who he really is and his extravagant love for us and we hear him say technon to us. We hear him say, my dear child, to us. When we hear that, then it begins to, when we look at our brother or our sister, that's the tax collector or the sinner. When we look at them, then the way we see them is transformed because the way we see our papa has been transformed. And the way we see ourselves has been transformed. And we begin to see other dear children out there that God loves just as much as he loves us. Now here's the cool thing, verse 32. Of course, the papa says, we had to celebrate and rejoice for, I love this, this brother of yours. Don't you love that? <laughs> By the way, you're, this is your brother. I want to remind you. He's telling the Pharisees that about the sinners that they're complaining about. These are your brothers. This brother of yours was dead and he has begun to live, was lost and he has now been found. The cool thing about this story is it doesn't have an ending. Have you ever noticed that about the, the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal father, the two sons? If you've ever noticed, it doesn't have an ending. It does for the younger son, right? But for the older son, it's like Jesus just gave an altar call to the religious. He just gave an altar call to them and left the story. You don't know what the older brother did. Did he go to the party? Did he stay outside the party? Did he listen to his father? He totally left. This is the most gracious message that Jesus ever preached to the Pharisees. And I'm so glad he did. How about you guys? For religious Pharisees like me and you, well, maybe I'll just raise my own finger. I don't have to point my finger at you. For religious Pharisees like me, I'm so thankful that he left the story open-ended so that I could hear him say to me, Dear child, you are always with me. Me. How many know when you got Papa, you got it all? Not to be worried about what's going on with the other son. Well, how's God treating that other one over there? Isn't that what happened with John and Peter, right? How's God treating that other one over there? How's, what about Peter? Did, did you say he's going to live forever? Is that, what, is that what I heard? You remember that at the end of the book of John? He's like, well, what about, you know, what about Peter? What, what, what about are Peter saying that about John? Well, what about, what's going on? You're saying he's going to live forever? And he said, Don, don't you worry about that. Don't you worry about that. Don't you worry about him. This is about me and you, right? This is about me and you. And that's what God is saying to us this morning. Don't get your eyes on them and whether they're doing right or whether they're doing wrong. Hear your papa say to you, those of you that have been running, those of you that have been slopping with the pigs, hear him say huios to you this morning. Those of you that sometimes are like me and you've been judgmental and you're upset about those people that just aren't living right, hear him call you dear child this morning. Amen? And be restored to him. I'm telling you, there is nothing, nowhere he won't go to what lengths he won't go to bring us into relationship with him. Come on, worship team, join me this morning. Will you stand?
you this morning, if you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've not surrendered your heart to him, this is a great day to do that. Hear him this morning saying, I call you son. Will you agree with that? I call you my son. So this morning, I want to encourage you, raise your hand. If you need to surrender your life to Jesus today, if you need to give your life to him, raise your hand real high if that's you. Say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. Just raise your hand real high. Anyone need to do that before we leave this morning? So whether you're the wheels or the technon, we're going to close with a, a, a song, and you're going to be free to go. Prayer teams are going to be here. If you need to receive prayer, you can receive it this morning. But we're going to, we're going to close with a, with a song about how the Father pursues us, and we're going to respond this morning to his love over us. So whether you're a slopping with the pigs, or whether you're judgmental, Today, he calls you huios. He calls you technon. Let's respond to him today. Let's allow the God who's chasing us today. God, we just say that. The God who is always in pursuit of me, I just respond to you. I just respond to you this morning.
we just say thank you so much for your love to us. Thank you that you pursued us, Lord. When we were slopping with the pigs. <laughs> thank you that you pursued us, God. When all we thought about were commands and principles and we forgot our first love. No matter where we are, where we've been, you've always pursued us. We give you glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, shout to him this morning, Destiny.